Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Patrick Smith, in for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. since the Dobbs decision, abortion providers in Illinois have experienced a surge in patients from out of state. At Rush Hospital, for example, that number has quadrupled. Driving these women to travel to Illinois are the abortion bans that have passed in 14 states. And even when those bans have exceptions for things like protecting the life of the mother, qualifying for those exceptions isn't a simple process. The vagueness in these laws are leading to high-risk pregnancies and complications for pregnant people forced across state lines to seek medical care. To find out more about the experience of these patients and medical providers in Illinois, we're talking to WBEZ public health and politics reporter Kristen Schorsch. What separates high-risk pregnancies in the context of health care and the overturning of Roe v. Wade? So some people are high-risk to begin with. They have a medical condition that puts them at high risk. So they have a heart condition. They have a risk of bleeding. um, They have a condition that makes anesthesia more risky. Um, They might have had a previous C-section, and uh, the placenta is now sitting on the C-section scar of your new pregnancy, and that can put you at a high risk of not just needing a hysterectomy, but an abortion, right? So there's there's a lot of complications there. And in other cases, um, just getting a delay in care, like you're going from clinic to clinic trying to get an abortion— essentially pushes you into being so far along that you can no longer have an abortion in the clinic and you need to have one in a hospital. Oh, so so uh, what happens when someone discovers that they have a high-risk pregnancy, one of those high-risk pregnancies that you were talking about, in a state that, that doesn't offer abortion access or, or really offer the care that they need? Yeah, so, well, they have what I imagine is a really difficult conversation with their doctor, you know, based on patients I've talked to in banned states and doctors who practice in banned states, trying to figure out what's next. You know, do they do they wait for, um, you know, wait to be in a condition that puts them in an imminent danger, so to speak? And depending on who your doctor is and in what state you're in, that can mean different things at this point, post-Roe. Um, also, it's navigating if you want to get an abortion in a state where it is legal, and like Illinois, how do you get there? How do you pay for it? How do you take time off work? How do you find a doctor? There's a lot of hoops to jump through to get to a place like Illinois. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Illinois is, of course, seen as a haven for abortion rights, surrounded by states that have sought to legally restrict the access to abortion. Uh, we've talked on the show before about how the state is seeing a rise in patients crossing state lines to get abortions. Do we know how many of those out-of-state patients are folks with high-risk pregnancies? No, that's an excellent question. We don't even know how many patients are actually traveling to hospitals in other states. The data is really incomplete. Um, not a lot of people track it. I've talked to some of the leading um, organizations that track abortions. No, this data doesn't exist. But I think a lot of people would like to know that so they can understand part of the impact of post-Roe is seeing what's happening at hospitals. So if if we don't have that data, and I think there are maybe good reasons in some cases why that data is not available, um, how did you sort of come to the story? What made you realize that high-risk pregnancies specifically were an issue you should look at in the, in the greater context of the overturning of Roe versus Wade? Yeah, I've covered healthcare a long time, and I've written a lot about charity care. So essentially, nonprofit hospitals that get tax breaks 
to provide uh, discounted or free care to people who can't afford it. And so right when Roe was overturning, I immediately thought, if we have a lot of -of out-of-state patients come to Illinois for abortions, how are they going to afford the abortion? Are they going to be able to get access to charity care here? And so I have been just following that and talking to people um, and really trying to to find a patient who was comfortable sharing their story to tell that through. And I essentially, I was finally able to do that. I mean, I think hospitals make up a very small number of abortions. Well, it's only about 3% across the country. Um, But these are high-risk patients. This is a lot more expensive. So what does this look like? I was really interested in just understanding this piece of the pie when you think of a post-row world. You talked just, just a minute ago about the obstacles that a person might face who who decided they did need to come, or not just decided, but needed to come to Illinois for, for this care. I wonder if we could talk about that a little more. I mean, I imagine for a patient, hopping over to another state and getting medical care is easier said than done. It's a vulnerable time for them, obviously, as you're talking about. They've got to find a pro- provider. There's the fact that the doctor you do find is not the doctor you see most of the time. You're in a state that's not your home. I mean, what obstacles do these patients face? Well, cost is a big one. So in a clinic, uh, a lot of people think of like a Planned Parenthood clinic when they think about abortion care. Um, An abortion can cost $500 to $1,000. In a hospital, like we're going to be talking with Dr. Laura Larson from Rush here, um, an abortion at a hospital can cost $6,000. I've heard ranges of up to $12,000, depending on how complex your case is. I mean, hospitals in general are more expensive. You know, you've got anesthesia, you've got OR time, you've got a lot of people and a lot of resources versus in a a smaller clinic. So just the cost of of accessing the hospital bill alone or paying that bill alone is a lot. Then you've also got the logistics. If you come here for an abortion, you might need to stay in a hotel. You might need childcare. You might need gas money and you have to pay your meals. Like there's just, there's a lot involved, um, but essentially, but especially the hospital bill is a, is a big chunk of that. This is Reset. I'm Patrick Smith, in for Sasha Ann Simons, and we're talking about how abortion bans across the country are impacting patients with high-risk pregnancies and how it's fueling a rise in out-of-state care here in Chicago. WBEZ's Kristen Shorsch is here walking us through the issue. And Kristen, I want to add another really important voice to this conversation, someone you spoke to uh, for your reporting. On the line with us is, is a woman we're referring to as Emily. She found out 22 weeks into her pregnancy that her son did not have kidneys or fully developed lungs. She joins us now. Welcome, Emily. Hi. Thank you. So, Emily, thank you so much again for for being willing to share your story and come on the show with us. Um, I wonder if I could start by asking, what was your initial reaction when you you were given the diagnosis about your unborn baby's health? It was absolutely devastating. One of the worst things I think that has ever happened um, in my entire life. I felt like, like your whole world just froze and just broke. It's, it was the worst. And, and beyond your son's health, your health was also at risk through the pregnancy. Is that right? So uh, the doctors did tell me that my health... Um, Uh, was not in danger, but the possible risk of my health overall, uh, if I were to prolong the pregnancy, um, could increase and possibly put myself in danger medically. So you're at this point where your doctors tell you that essentially an abortion is the best and safest option for you. 
but that they wouldn't give you one, that they couldn't give you one. I mean, I, I, I hate to, to make you relive that moment, but what was that like? What was going through your mind when your doctor's telling you, here's what you need, but I can't give it to you? It was extremely scary. I felt like no one could help me, you know, in my state, and I didn't know what to do. I was like, well, what do I do, you know? It didn't, it felt like it didn't matter what option I chose, it was all going to have a bad outcome, you know, because there was no way for the baby to survive, unfortunately. No matter how bad I, I, I wanted him to, it just wasn't medically possible. And so I, I just, I felt overwhelmed and just, they were like, you have to go to a different state. You have to go to Illinois. And, you know, it, it, was, it was a lot to take in. So, so they tell you or you realize you have to go to Illinois for this care. I mean, who or what helped you navigate? I mean, Kristen was just talking before you got on the line about all of the different hurdles that somebody like you yourself had to face. Who helped you navigate that or, or how did you navigate those challenges? Um, I talked with uh, the doctor. Um, she provided me some suggestions. Um, and, you know, we got a hold of Rush, and they were able to help us out. I'm sorry. Um, no, you're, you're, you're totally fine. I, I, I wonder, you mentioned Rush, which is where you were treated. Um, how, how were things once you were able to get to, to Rush? How did that go? It was hard. Um, I know I keep saying that, but um, it's, it was expensive. We didn't really um, know how to how to pay for um, pay for everything. You know, we had to ask um, for funding assistance from two different organizations, and they um, helped us pay for pretty much the entire procedure. And I wonder, you know, obviously besides that you would be able to get the health care you needed in the state that you lived in, uh, you know, if Illinois is going to continue to be this sort of haven for people who need help like this, we want to learn some lessons and, and make sure that we're, we're, we're providing the best care we can. What could have been better for you throughout this whole process of seeking reproductive care? What what support did you need that you didn't get, or, or what would have made this at least a better experience for you? What would have made it a better experience would have been not having to travel out of state. I want to say we traveled a good seven hours from our location. And, um, oh, gosh. And um, I just, I just wish that the laws were not so strict that they, that I could have the medical procedure done in my state, where I didn't have to worry about the money, the finances, how I was going to get there, how I was going to get back home, you know, how how I would feel, you know, the recovery process in, in another state. It's it was so frustrating. And once you were in Chicago, how long did you end up having to stay in Chicago for care and, and, and maybe for recovery after? So for care, I had to stay in Chicago for about three days. And then for recovery, it was about two days. Uh, my body recovered pretty fast. Surprisingly, all I had was 
um, spotting and maybe a little bit of bleeding after the procedure was done. Christian, I, I wonder if I could ask you um, if, if there are lessons you take from Emily's story about what, you know, I think Emily made the really good point, which is that the laws should just be so that she could get care where she lived. But are there lessons you took for what Illinois could be doing to make to make things easier on, on patients like like Emily? Well, I think just in general, I think having the data to better understand what is happening to patients, whether it's in Illinois or other states, would be really helpful. Um, we don't really know how often this is happening. High-risk patients coming to places like Illinois and other regions of the country that are abortion havens. And we don't really understand just the full scope of what patients are going through. So I just think in general, having more data to really better understand all the situations and how how things could be different would be, I think, the best thing. Excellent. Emily, I just want to say I'm so sorry that you went through this. And I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and for sharing your story with us and the, the Reset listeners. Um, it, it's, it's a great service. And, and I just thank you so much for sharing that experience. Thank you. Let's turn now to a doctor who treated Emily when she traveled to Chicago. With us is OBGYN Dr. Laura Larson with Rush Medical Center. And still with us is WBEZ public health and politics reporter Kristen Schorsch. Dr. Larson, in general, what is it like treating patients with high-risk pregnancies? What are you having to consider? So Emily is a pretty typical story for what we've been seeing in um, a post-Roe world. Um, So there are many different issues that bring people to needing abortion care at hospitals. So many patients and a lot of what we see are patients who go to an abortion clinic um, for a abortion, don't want to be pregnant, and then they're found out to have some medical issue, whether that's some cardiac disease, some history of an issue with anesthesia, high blood pressure, and they're turned away from that clinic. Um, and those clinics, you know, try to work with them to get them care, but they thought that they were going to get that abortion that day. They thought they were going to get taken care of, and they're referred to us at a hospital. Then there's people like Emily who have fetal anomalies, and um, they can't get care in their home state where they used to be able to get care, and they're referred from their doctors directly from one high-risk Uh, perinatal center to another high-risk perinatal center. So for many of these patients, we're not only um, dealing with the abortion, we're dealing with all of their other medical issues. So that is working with other specialists, their primary care doctor. Um, And then, as Emily mentioned, a lot of the emotional and logistical and cost issues as well. Yeah. I mean, how has this increase in out-of-state high-risk patients affected your practice this year? So a lot of ways. So... um, uh, the number of patients is about quadrupled who are coming from out of state. Um, so I have changed my practice. Um, I was doing a lot more general OBGYN care, and now I am primarily focused on abortion care because um, I don't really have time for much else in my clinical practice. Um, we um, have longer wait times, so patients are um, we're trying having to triage patients. So patients who are farther along, patients with more complex issues are getting in first. And um, sometimes more of our routine patients were having to either wait longer or work with um, the freestanding clinics like Planned Parenthood, et cetera, to see if they can get them in faster. Well, I mean, a quadruple the number of having to completely change your practice like that. I mean, what kind of toll is this taking on you personally and, and on your colleagues? 
Yeah, so I... I feel very lucky and honored to work at, in Chicago and work at a place like Rush. Um, I um, feel, you know, lucky that I'm able to take care of patients like Emily and be able to provide, you know, evidence-based health care to them. So um, although it can be emotionally difficult, I think in the end, it's actually sometimes easier for me than it is for my colleagues from out of state who have the skills and the medical knowledge to provide this care and are unable to do so. Um, and that's, that's, I think, where the real challenge is. Kristen, I, I want to pull you back in here. You spoke with a physician in Wisconsin where abor- abortions are not legal. Uh, and I want, to he- I want us, everyone to hear from Dr. Jennifer McIntosh about what it's like for her to have to tell patients that they may need to leave the state to seek the care that they need. It's really awful. Now I'm going to tell you, yes, it's very reasonable to get an abortion, but oh, by the way, it's illegal in your own state. So now I'm going to tell you that you have to figure out how to leave the state to get an abortion. And it just feels terrible. Dr. Larson, I actually, I want to ask you, what is it like for you hearing that clip from Dr. McIntosh, knowing that your colleague, your colleague's hands are tied? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I know a lot of Dr. McIntosh's and, you know, our OBGYN community, the abortion provider community is quite small, right? And so we all, many of us know each other and um, I, I feel terrible for them, right? And not only is there the patient issue, but there's also the personal issue too. Like for many people, this is their livelihood. This is what they've been doing for years and years and years. And they've had to change careers. They've had to change what they specialize in. Um, they've had to change, you know, what, what their um, life is like because they cannot provide this care anymore. So it's, it's just awful. And Kristen, I sort of broadly said abortions are not legal in Wisconsin. I wonder if you could you could lay out for listeners what exactly is the situation in Wisconsin? What are the exceptions to the abortion restrictions? How's it affecting, you know, the people, the patients in Wisconsin? Yeah. So Wisconsin has an abortion ban from 1849 on the books. The Democratic governor um, does not support that. But so at this time, though, because of the vagueness of who can do what, Abortions have pretty much been ground to a halt. There is an exception for the life of the mother. So Dr. McIntosh in that cut was was describing what it's like to tell patients who come to her who find out that, um, you know, their their baby is going to either not survive or is going to have a very, how to put it, um, it's, it's going to have a dire outcome. And so... She, she told me that in some cases, like if the water breaks too early, she can provide an abortion. That does satisfy mm. um, the life of the mother exception. But that doesn't mean that every provider in Wisconsin is doing that. So while she is allowed to, she was telling me that other providers' hands are tied. Um, but that's what, that's what she's facing. And she was telling me that she essentially has to kind of navigate this very narrow channel of making sure she's abiding by this very old law while also practicing the standard of care and not essentially, you know, committing malpractice. So she's really, politics have seeped into her job. It's not just about health care anymore. It's essentially what's happening in Wisconsin. And, and, and Dr. Larson, I want to kind of draw the distinction. I mean, Kristen's talking about Dr. McIntosh's experience in Wisconsin. Here in Illinois, what's the process when you realize a patient that you're treating has a high-risk pregnancy and, and maybe needs an abortion? That, that is the care that they need. I'm able to use my medical judgment, my years of medical training, and um, what what is evidence-based. I'm able to follow the recommendations of the American College of OBGYN and not really blink an eye. Um, and it's, 
it's it's really it's really nice. It's really comforting um, because I know that I can do what's best for the patient and provide the care that the patients need. Um, so I don't have to think about the you know the politics or the laws or you know what some politician who doesn't really know about medicine has decided what I should do because I can just provide what I know is best. And there's been reporting about other states, um, states that have abortion restrictions, trying to find out if if women have traveled out of state to get to get to get care, try to punish women for that. When you're treating someone from out of state, are you worried about retaliation or legal repercussions for yourself or for the the, the patient who's traveled traveled to Illinois? Um, in terms of myself, um, again, working in Illinois has been really great for um, reproductive health care providers because um, this year they actually passed a shield law that um, defends providers who provide abortions in Illinois from any laws from out of state. So I am not mm. concerned about any type of repercussion from there. They can't either um, criminally or charge me and they actually can't do anything with my medical license as well. Um, for patients, it is a little trickier. Um, those laws are are a little more nebulous. Um, but as of right now, there's no no state actually has a law that's enforceable for a patient traveling across straight lines. Kristen, um, earlier you talked about charity care and you talked about the high cost of, of, of these kinds of treatments. Um, who ends up paying for the abortions of, of high risk pregnancies for people out of state? Right now, it's largely abortion funds. So abortion funds are essentially set up to help patients cover lots of different costs. The hospital bill, the clinic bill, the meals, the hotel, the child care that a person might need to travel within their own state or travel out of state. Um, and so, you know, when I was talking about how there's like really little data about how many hospital-based abortions are actually happening, uh, one one big thing I did was obviously call providers, mm. talk to Dr. Laura Larson, and I talked to people in other pockets of the country, but I also talked to the abortion funds. The Chicago abortion fund, I'll give throughout some numbers without mm. being too weighty here, right? So before Roe fell, they covered just over $11,000 in hospital bills in Illinois for about 30 patients. So fast forward to now, this past year since Roe fell, that number has soared to more than $400,000 in hospital bills for more than 200 patients. So, and you can see, and, and the majority of patients now that they're funding for hospital bills are coming from out of state. And the National Abortion Federation, which also has an assistance program for patients across the U.S., is seeing a very similar trend, a big increase in patients needing help to pay those big hospital bills. And even talking about how hospitals have become the last stop for a lot of people because, like we talked about earlier, people are getting turned away from clinics that is pushing them into becoming high risk and needing to end up in a hospital for an abortion. So Chris is talking about the, the state of play right now. Dr. Larson, in your opinion, who should be covering these costs for out-of-state procedures? The patient's state from where they're coming from, right? These are, these are citizens of these states, right? They are citizens of Missouri or Texas or Kentucky or wherever they're coming from. And, um, you know, tax dollars pay for their pregnancy. If they were going to continue the pregnancy to term, the the insurance companies or their Medicaid services or et cetera would pay for these procedures. And now these patients, for lack of a better term, are being dumped on um, providers in Illinois. And we as physicians are, you know, more than happy to take care of them. Like I said, I, I feel very honored to be able to take care of these patients. But when it comes to cost, it just does not seem like an equitable solution to be having 
these abortion funds have to pay for this, especially when the costs are so high. You know, the abortion funds are generally, um, you know, the funds come from lots of small little donations, right? They have some grants, but a lot of them are from small donations. So it's not sustainable to be having these abortion funds pay for these very large um, hospital bills that um, are inevitable for these patients. What does the physical and mental health recovery for patients look like after these these procedures? So physically, patients do very well, and I think Emily touched yeah. on that. Um, you know, um, it's much the recovery after an abortion is much simpler than a recovery after a full term childbirth, right? Um, generally, they have some cramping, some spotting, but it doesn't normally last for more than a few days, and people can go back to work and go back to their lives in a day or two. Again, physically, emotionally, it's different. You know. Um, the most common, um, the most common feeling that people report after an abortion is a sense of relief, right? If you look at all of the studies that have ever been done about this, most women do feel a sense of relief and feel actually pretty good after an abortion. I think people like Emily, who have a fetal anomaly and had a truly strongly desired pregnancy, do feel a little different, mm-hmm. right? Because this was their baby, this was their child. There was a lot of hope for what the future was going to bring. And that can take a very long time to recover. And luckily, you know, we we do work with them to provide some support and the abortion funds will work with them to provide support as well. Um, But it can take a long time. Obviously, a lot more to say on this. Kristen's going to keep reporting on it and we're going to keep having conversations here. That is Dr. Laura Larson with Rush Medical Center. We've also been speaking with WBEZ's Kristen Shores. Thank you both for your time today. This episode of Reset was produced by Michael Liptrot. It was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Meha Ahmad. Stay on top of the biggest stories affecting Illinois and Chicago by subscribing to our podcast. And if you're already subscribed, do us a quick favor and leave us a rating and review it. It helps new listeners discover our show. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Patrick Smith in for Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you this afternoon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.